Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. Hit me up over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, and also at EthosFantasyBB. That is the account where all of our new baseball content will be dropped this year over on Twitter, whether it be podcasts, articles, different notes that go out directly onto Twitter, anything else we share that is pertinent to fantasy baseball, Ethos Fantasy BB is the account to be following. You'll never miss any of the new stuff that we release throughout the rest of the offseason and, of course, all through 2023 and beyond as well. Now, today we had talked about this. We are going to get back to the rankings. I think it's going to be our Friday thing until the season gets going. I'm not sure how the timing will all work, but it'll take us pretty close to the start of the regular season. We'll do one position every Friday, carry it over, finish it off on the Monday, leave you guys pondering over the weekend. We'll, we'll complete them on Mondays. And then maybe sometimes for starting pitchers, we might do three shows. So maybe it'll go Thursday, Friday, Monday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, something like that. But yeah, Friday is going to be rank day for the foreseeable future. And today we are going to be tackling first base. Now, if I sound a little weird, I'm not sure if I do sound weird or not over the audio. There's a couple things. I've mentioned it many times throughout the course of the offseason. Had a nagging cough. I've had COVID a few times. I think that might be part of it, perhaps. Uh, So every now and then you guys might have heard me on podcast kind of coughing, clearing my throat. Apologies there. Uh, It's not what I want. I know it's not great radio. But it's just very difficult for me, who has very limited editing abilities, to go through the thing and and edit out every single cough without just ruining the audio. So there is that. And the second part is that earlier today I split my lip open, closing the car door. I know, real real sign of intelligence there. Uh, I was leaning into the car. I'd forgotten something in the car when I was getting back from school. Went back, opened the door, grabbed it, went to slam the door, and I hadn't hadn't got myself out of the way fully enough. I thought I'd knock some teeth out when I first did it. it. Christ, I mean, I've been in some fist fights over the years. I've been in some bar fights. I've been in some some brawls in the schoolyard. I've been punched in the face. That felt like I got punched in the face. And, man, it hurts. The lip is split open. So if I do sound a little bit odd on the podcast today, if the audio sounds weird, that is why. But we are still here. We are still going to be talking first base ranks. First base is a position that I played a little bit when I was growing up. Always been fairly fond of it. There are a lot of great players at the position that I love talking about, that I love watching, and I love drafting. So... Let's cut out the preamble because you guys know that I'm prone to preambles. Let's just start talking about these rankings. And I don't think it's too earth-shattering to see who I have at number one. It's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. This is not a Homer Blue Jays take, although there is some Blue Jays Homerism in me for sure. No question. But Vladimir Guerrero, I think, is pretty clearly the best first baseman that you can draft heading in for fantasy this season. Now, there's a few different factors, right? You have to look at historically what he's done these last couple of years. And I know historically for someone who's 23 years old sounds kind of weird, 
But the dude has been just incredible to start his major league career. And I know there's a lot of talk about, well, he was playing in a minor league ballpark for a lot of 2021, and he wasn't really all that good anyway. And I, I just don't buy that. I, I really don't. I know that a good chunk of their games in 2021 did come in Buffalo and in Dunedin, where the parks were not fully up to major league scratch. It's 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 part of the game, right? Different parks are designed in different ways. There are different factors that lead to more home runs in certain places, shorter fences, thinner air, whatever it is. My argument against that would be, what about Cincinnati? What about Colorado? What about the short porch at Yankee Stadium? What about the Crawford boxes? What about Fenway's monster wall that's not too far back? It's high, but it's not too far back. There are little advantages like that all across baseball. There are players who... You know, they play in Cincinnati or Colorado their whole career and their stats are a little bit inflated because of it. Those are major league ballparks, right? I mean, I know it's different. Vladdy was playing in minor league parks, but at the same time, he gave you a stupidly good 2021 season, one of the best we've ever seen from somebody specifically age 22. Then he followed it up with what is generally considered a disappointing 2022 season for him. And that was still 32 homers, 90 runs, 97 RBIs, and a 274 batting average, a 132 wrc plus was he as good as 2021 no but he was still incredibly incredibly good he plays almost every single day it was 160 games this year 161 the year prior and i've been you know one of the people out in front of this in the community talked about how previous and granted it was definitely not my original thought but i've talked about it a lot over these last couple months Prior health is not necessarily an indicator of future health, but Vladdy is not somebody who likes to take days off. He's fairly sturdy from what we've seen. He's a big boy. He's not going to break down too quickly from what, I mean, I'm knocking on wood as I say that, but durability should be there. This past season, you you could argue this is going to be the worst season that he has in his 20s. 32 homers, 97 rippies, 90 runs. It was a down year for him. There was not really any point of the year, and I'm going to pull up a split just in case I'm talking out of my ass here. But I don't think there was really any point of the year where he was that crazy excelling with the whole, like he hit nine home runs in June, which was really good. In the other months, it was six in April, three in May, three in July, six in August, and five in September, October. There was not really any stretch where he was like lighting the world on fire, which we know he can in terms of home runs. He hit 340 in the month of July. You know, like I said, nine homers in June. There were stretches where he was really good. But as a whole, he underperformed this season, and he still gave you a 132 WRC+, 30, 90, and 90. And the kicker this year with Vladdy was he gave you eight stolen bases as well. Now, will he do that again? Will he continue to steal? I think he probably will. I think that the Blue Jays aren't going to hold him back too much, not that they want him to be running every time he gets the first base. His value is in the batter's box, of course. But at the same time, there's no reason to think that Vladdy can't give you between 5 and 10 stolen bases, considering how aggressive he was under John Schneider, considering his own aggression, regardless of manager, wanting to take those bases. There are times when you can look in the dugout and see that Vladdy was not given the steal side. Vladdy just saw an opportunity, got a great jump, and went for it. I think that we can expect that to continue, at least to some degree. I'm not saying he's going to steal 20 bases or anything, but between 5 and 10 should be totally doable. And that will honestly put him in line to be among the leaders at first base amongst uh, four stolen bases. He's projected for six on the bat, and that's something I also should have mentioned. The bat and the bat X projections from Derek Hardy came out over the last couple days, something that is really worth looking at. Now, he's projected for a pretty similar season as last year. Batting average expected to go up a little bit. Steals expected to go down. More or less the same thing, though. But his projections are 33 homers, 95 runs, 99 ribbies, and six stolen bases. Those six stolen bases 
perfectly reasonable to expect that. And amongst the top tier of first basemen, there's not really anybody else who's going to give you that 30 home run, you know, 5-10 stolen base potential other than one other dude who we are going to talk about. And you're not going to have to wait too long to hear about him in our rankings. But it's pretty rare that you're going to see somebody give you this many home runs while also hitting for a good batting average and stealing some bags from the first base position. Not one single first baseman is projected for more than 10 steals. So if you're getting 6, 7, or 8 out of Vladdy, that's a massive win to go along with everything else that he is giving you. So he is number one for me for a reason. It's not just the fact that I'm a Blue Jays guy. That lineup is incredible. That team is going to be very good. The team, you know, as much as I think that they're maybe not as good as they could have potentially been, and let's say they kept Teoscar Hernandez, they didn't have Kiermaier there. Offensively, it would be it would be a better lineup. But, I mean, it's hard to complain with Springer, Bichette, Guerrero, Kirk, Varsho, Chapman, Brandon Belt, Whit Merrifield, Kevin Kiermaier, and then Danny Jansen, Santiago Espinal on the bench. You know, you're talking, you're talking a very, very solid lineup. He should not lack for runs, RBIs, home runs, or any counting stat. I think that he is pretty clear in a way the number one first baseman this season. And I say, you know, he's he's not like many miles beyond the number two guy, but I think. For me, pretty clearly, Vladdy should be taken as the number one first baseman. And he is. In these draft champions, he has been the number one first baseman going off the board on average at pick 11. If you, and that's since December. In the entirety of the draft champions, uh, it's going back to the beginning of October, I believe, when they started. Uh, when they start October? Yeah, October 1st is when the dates go back to when you reset. Uh, he was going 12th there. Now he's going 11th. But he is the number one first baseman, regardless of where you're looking at for draft champions. Now, let's move on and talk about number two. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to spend that much time on every single player. And we are going to break this down into a couple shows, of course. But number two in my rankings is that other guy we talked about who is going to give you some steals this year. And that's Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is, you know, when we had Matt Williams on a couple weeks ago, he made the joke, and it's only kind of joking, that you can write his numbers out in pen at the beginning of the year, and you pretty much know what you're going to get from him. That's pretty much the case with Freddie Freeman. I mean, you might not know exactly if it's going to be 25 home runs or 28 home runs or 21 home runs or, you know, specific numbers like that. It might be 89 runs scored. It might be 120. You know, it might be 82 RBIs. It might be 125. You know, he's going to produce whatever it is, however the math will work itself out. He is going to give you a stat line that is going to be roughly a first round talent for you in fantasy baseball. That much is pretty much guaranteed. Now, there is the age factor. He is 33 years old now. Maybe we start to see him slow down a little bit. And we saw the power start to slow down a bit last season. 21 home runs. It was his fewest over the course of a full season since 2015. And that's before he really actually had those big power seasons. That was before when he was 21, 23, 18 home runs. Before he'd really broken out and had a couple of 30 home run years. So it's hard to say if he's going to get back up to close to 30 home runs, if he's going to hit 21 again. Uh, his numbers, you know, it's, it's like I said, you don't know exactly what they are going to be. More so, I think, if I can, you know, edit Matt's phrase there, you don't write the numbers down, but maybe you'll write, like, the Rasball Player Raider number down as, like, 15 at least. At, at, at worst, I should say. He's going to give you a first-round first round return, almost guaranteed. Assuming that he's healthy, there is no reason to worry about Freddie Freeman at all. Now, I don't think he's going to steal 13 bases again. I think that that was probably something we're not going to see too much going forward. He has had some years in the past, and again, his stat line bounces around a little bit. There is years where he's had eight steals. There's been another 10-steal season. Earlier in his career, it was more one, two, three, four kind of numbers. 
I'm not really sure if he's going to give you that many again. Uh, the projections, like I said, he is projected for the most stolen bases amongst any first baseman, according to the bat, which uh, gives him nine. And they give him 23 homers, 87 ribbies, 92 runs, and a 295 batting average. He's going to be really, really good. No question about it. I think that there's not really any need to move him around from where he is already in ADP. He is the number two first baseman by ADP. He is the number two first baseman in my rankings. Very confident in him. If there's anything that's going to hold me back a little bit from like, you know, why he's not number one, because you could make a case for him as number one. You can make a case for him as a top five or seven draft pick just based on consistency. But I think that this lineup overall is not quite as good as we might think in our heads. Uh, they've lost some pieces. They lost Ray Turner. They lost Bellinger. They lost Justin Turner. They are not, they're not quite as good as we might think they are. The bottom four of that lineup, Gavin Lux, Trace Thompson, Chris Taylor, James Outman. Mm, maybe it's good. Maybe it's shit. There's no real way to tell at this point. I'm, I'm not expecting massive things from them. I'm really not. Like I, I know that it's hard to say anybody else is likely going to win that division because it's it's probably going to be the Dodgers. But they're just they're just not as good as we've seen them historically and that's something that I think will factor in a little bit to to everybody's rankings. And I, I don't know, I've heard some people say that they're still real real big on the Dodgers. Their cleanup hitter is Max Muncie who's coming off of an absolutely atrocious year. Fifth is J.D. Martinez. Really it's the top 3 that you're comfortable with. Mookie, Freddie Freeman and Will Smith. And then after that it's not so great. So that's what holds me back from having him in the number one spot. If they had retained Trey Turner, if they had you know brought in some more you know, offensive juggernauts as opposed to just a J.D. Martinez kind of type, then maybe uh, we'd be talking about him as the number one first baseman. But for me, uh, pretty comfortably, Freddie Freeman is still going to be at number two. Again, not deviating from ADP here. Uh, he is going as the second first baseman at pick 14 on average. Let's talk about number three. Again, I'm not deviating from ADP here, and I know the exciting thing to do with rankings is to say, this guy is, you know, I have him 17 spots ahead of consensus, and this guy is 15 below. There are guys who move around a little bit as we go down this list, but I, I think, honestly, there's not much of a need to play around where it's not necessary to. My third first baseman is Pete Alonso. I think that he could, you could make an argument for him in that second slot with Freddie Freeman. What does hold him back, obviously, is the lower batting average he's going to give you, and obviously, um, no, not maybe not no steals, but definitely fewer steals than what you're going to see uh, out of Freddie Freeman. And I say definitely, maybe it's not a definite thing, but it's pretty likely that Pete Alonso is not going to be stealing as many bases as Freddie Freeman, even if Freeman gives you three or four more, because I don't think Freeman's going to steal a lot, but I think he'll still give you like seven or eight. Where with Alonso, that would be absolute best case scenario and I mean he's went from one to three to five over these last couple of years maybe he gets you seven you don't need that big of a jump in the stolen base category at certain positions to really increase your value catcher in first base so maybe he does give you six seven I'm I'm not expecting that the projections all have him at about three or four that makes sense to me now he's coming off a year where he gave you 40 homers 95 runs 131 ribbies and the best thing about it was in my opinion he batted 271 because these past couple of seasons the batting average had bounced around a little bit 260 231 262 it's good to see him increase that as opposed to just maintaining his same number or lowering it 
He's in a great lineup. The Mets have a fantastic lineup. He should be batting third, I think, most of the time. Let's see what roster resource has to say. Oh, they have him in the fourth slot here. Nimmo, one. Marte, two. Lindor, three. Pete Alonso, four. And then Jeff McNeil, five. That's really solid for me. That's a be- I think they have a better lineup than the Dodgers. And I don't even think it's particularly close. Like, you know, it's still in the bottom half. Not the greatest. But I'll take guys like Mark Canna and Eduardo Escobar and even Daniel Vogelbach over guys like Outman and Thompson, where you don't really know exactly what to expect from them. Where with McNeil and Lindor and Marte and even Brandon Nimmo to an extent, you're pretty certain about the production that you're going to be getting out of these guys. And Alonso is not going to lack for runs. He's not going to lack for RBIs. And he's certainly not going to lack for home runs. As we know, Pete Alonso has that 50 home run potential. He showed us as a rookie. He had 40 this past season. He's durable. There's nothing not to like about him here. And again, I don't see a need to deviate so much from ADP. You could maybe make an argument to have him third ahead of Freddie Freeman. I think that it's fair to have him either behind or ahead. I think they're very, very close. I don't think that there is that much that really sets them apart. I mean, you're going to have a lot more, probably not a lot, but you're going to have more home runs from Pete Alonso. You're going to have more steals from Freddie Freeman with a better batting average. So it really depends on how you want to go about building your team. I know in the first round, early second round, sometimes you don't really have that in your head. It's more of, okay, I've drafted these three players. This is the way I'm trending. I have steals taken care of, and I have batting average. Now I need to get some power. You're not usually in a fantasy baseball draft planning that out from the get-go. It's more of who you get, whereas you know other sports, fantasy basketball. You plan on punting free throws. You take guys who are poor free throw shooters. Here, it's more you take who you can get, where you can get them, and then later on, you start worrying about fixing up categories. I need more steals. I'm going to take John Birdie or whatever. In the first couple rounds, you're still kind of plotting out your draft, and maybe you just don't plot it out at all. Maybe you just take the best guy available. I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday, trying to show him projections and show him, and he's a guy who plays fantasy baseball. He's in my home league, one of my best friends. Chatting with him, and I was saying, look at the projections before you get in your drafts next season. There are many of them. There's the ATC, which aggregates all of them, and blah blah blah. And he's like, ah, I kind of like to go into the draft, just you know, with my own own natural feeling on players. And there are people who are like that. He's not the most serious fantasy player, but there are people who who still go about things like that and and don't even look at the projections. So I'm not even sure where I was headed originally with that point. But there are going to be people who will have defined strategies, people who will not have defined strategies heading into your draft. And I I don't think that it is egregious to flip-flop Freeman or Alonzo, have either one of them at second or third. But for me, I'll take the higher batting average, the potential for some more steals. And you're still getting 30 home run upside with with, uh, Freeman. It's not like he's going to hit you seven home runs or something. You're still going to get a lot of power. You're just maybe giving up a little bit in terms of supplementing your other categories. So those are my top three. Uh, pretty comfortably, it's Vlad, it's Freeman, and it's Pete Alonso. Now we keep on going. Again, I'm not going to deviate from ADP just yet. We're going to go with the guy who is number four. And I actually, let me see if I even deviate on my next pick. No, I didn't. The top five for me are the top five based on ADP. I know, like I said, it's not the most exciting thing when they line up, but that's just... The way I see it, I'm not going to mess with them just to have cool rankings that people click on. That's not who I am. That's not what I want to do here. I want to give you guys my honest opinion. And I think, honestly, at number four, you got to go with Paul Goldschmidt, especially considering the year he just gave you, how good he is historically. And looking at the projections for him this season, too, they are still very, very good. Now, he is 35 years old. Definitely something we have to consider. His steel numbers, they're not probably going to be what we have 
what we've been accustomed to in the past. Specifically in the Arizona years, he's not anywhere near that anymore. But these last couple of seasons in St. Louis, we've also seen the number kind of go down. So in his four years in St. Louis, we have three steals, one steal, 12 steals, and seven steals. This next season, depending on where you're looking at for projections, the bat has him at six, or excuse me, the bat X has him at six. That's using StatCast data in the projections. The bat has him at seven. Steamer has him at six. I think that that's probably about as much as you're going to hope for with Paul Goldschmidt at this stage of his career. He's not going to try and run himself into an injury at age 35 and need to miss months with a hamstring. He's there because of what he does in the batter's box. That is... That is his, I'm not going to say his sole purpose, but that is pretty much what he does. His defense is, is whatever at this point of his career, 35 years old. He's there to swing the bat. He's there to give you 30, 100, and 100, and likely 300 batting average as well. Now, I don't know that we're going to see the same kind of batting average. The projection systems tend to agree that it's going to be a little bit lower than what we've seen in the past. 274, 273 is what they're projecting. I think that you're probably not going to see it go that low. I think you're probably looking at 280 to 290 range, considering what he's done in his entire career. Uh, I don't see much need to push him farther below than maybe a 380. The power should be relatively the same. I think you're going to see somewhere in the 25 to 30 home run range, 90 to 100 RBIs, and 90 to 100 runs. It's all probably going to be fairly similar to what we saw last year. There just does come a worry with somebody who is not a spring chicken, 35 years old. You know, how long until he really falls off a cliff? I, I really don't know the answer to that question. He's, is he any worse than he was 10 years ago? I don't know. Look at what he did in 2012, or let's say 2013, and then look what he did last year. It was 36, 103, and 125. This past season, 35, 106, and 115. He had a better batting average this year than he did 10 years ago. He stole fewer bases, but it's essentially a wash. You're looking at strikeout and walk rates, 14 and 20, 12 and 21. It's he is the same player that he has always been. So while there is that worry in the back of my head of, Paul Goldschmidt might just, you know, hit the wall this year. At 35, maybe he gives you 20 homers, 72 runs, 70 RBIs, and he bats 258, stealing three bases. Is it possible? Certainly, but it's not something that I'd be banking on this year. I think there's a chance for it, but at the end of the day, there's nobody that I'd feel safer about putting in this four spot than Paul Goldschmidt. And I think that you could make the argument that he is the end of that top tier of first baseman. You might want to make the argument it ends with Alonzo, depending on how comfortable you feel about Goldschmidt. But I think it's it's going to be pretty close there with all of those top four guys. And it's been fairly close in terms of ADP, where they're going. Now, the top three guys are going all in the top 20 picks. Guerrero at 11, Freeman at 14. Pete Alonzo just at like 19.96 as his ADP. So call it 20. And then you got Paul Goldschmidt at 26. After those top four, who all feel very confident in, all you can, you know, you're going to get your stats out of them. One way or the other, you're going to get your stats. You're going to get production. Going down a tier, you're still going to get your stats. You're still going to get your production. But I'm not quite as confident in projecting these next group of guys. So let's talk about them. Matt Olson is who I have in the number five slot. Again, not deviating from ADP. This is what we are seeing in the NFBC site. This is what my own project not really projections my own predictions my own looking at projections and everything is telling me Matt Olson should be roughly I think not even roughly I think that he is pretty solidly the number five third baseman there based on everything that we're seeing and it's funny because it actually works too if you sort by WRC plus based on the bat projections the top five is also the same Vladdy Freeman Alonzo Goldschmidt and Olson didn't do that on purpose that's just the way it worked out 
Olsen is projected for 34 homers, 89 runs, 96 RBIs, two steals, and a 250 batting average. Now, I I put him below for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think that we can expect the same kind of batting average that we're going to see out of that top group of guys. Everybody we mentioned there in the top four, maybe not Alonzo, but everybody else is going to be able to hit 300 potentially. Alonzo could hit 275, 280. Once you get to Matt Olson, you have to kind of expect a bit of a drop off. For the career, he's a 250 hitter. We saw him at 271 in 2021. Uh, but we've also seen, you know, shorter, smaller sample sizes, but 195 in 2020. Uh, he was 240 this past season. He's also given you 247 in the past. Batting average is not going to be a strength of his. Neither is stolen bases. You know, he had zero this past season. He has seven in his entire career, which is now, was it seven years now he's been the league? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons, seven stolen bases for Matt Olson. Not exactly something you can expect when you're drafting him that you're going to get even anything. He's projected for two based on the various projection systems. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. And I know that's not the greatest piece of analysis. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. But there's just no way to expect anything or or everything from him, if that makes sense. Like, you have no, no prediction for stolen bases. It's probably going to be zero. Maybe he gets one or two, but it's not something you can bank on. You're really getting three categories. You're getting your home runs, you're getting your runs, and you're getting your RBIs. And those should be there in spades because you're talking about – just a stupidly good lineup. And I saw somebody say, I don't even know who it was. I wish I did so I could talk to them about it and I, you know, pick their brain on it, saying that they thought that the Braves lineup was overrated. I don't know, man. I think this is the best lineup in baseball, personally. Acuna, Harris, Riley, Olsen, Murphy, Ozzie Albies, Eddie Rosario, Marcelo Zuna, Vaughn Grisham. That is a stupidly good lineup. You have one through nine that is going to be a fantasy asset. Maybe you're going to argue Eddie Rosario and Marcelo Zuna are more deeper league plays. Sure. Even if they are, you're still talking about seven plus fantasy assets in one starting lineup. Not to mention Travis Darno, who is going to be drafted, who will likely have some value as well. This team is crazy good. Matt Olson is going to be a huge part of it, despite the fact that he's given you three out of five categories. You know, it's just the way of the road once you get to this point in the draft. And I know it's crazy. We're talking about the fifth first baseman. But that elite production that you're getting across all categories pretty much dies with the fourth first baseman, which is Goldschmidt. And even Alonzo, you're not getting steals, really. I mean, like we said, maybe you get three, five, seven, something like that. But, you know, and I guess for first baseman, that's fine. But after that, you're not getting really anybody throughout the rest of the draft who's going to give you all of those categories put together. Olsen is very strong in this spot, and I think that there is a relatively big drop-off in tiers after we go through Matt Olsen. I think that you know the next guy we're going to talk about, I really like him. I think he's a great value, but I don't think you can expect the same level of production from Matt Olsen or from the next guy we're going to talk about as you're going to get from Matt Olsen. So let's just talk about him here. It's Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is my number sixth first baseman this next coming season, of course. I should have prefaced this at the top. I said it before the catcher rankings video. These are going to change, potentially. There will be little things that change. We saw the Brandon Belt signing in Toronto. Potentially, I'm going to move down Danny Jansen a slot or two because of it. Maybe even Alejandro Kirk moves down one slot because of it. There's still going to be things that change our opinions. But as of right now, Jose Abreu is the number six first baseman in my ranking list. He's number seven by ADP over on the NFBC site. We're not going too crazy out of line here in terms of jumping up the gun. But Jose Abreu, man, like uh, he had a down year last year. His power metrics were still very good, and you can thank Ryan Bloomfield for that information because, uh, side note, if you're not following Ryan Bloomfield on Twitter, then you are behind the game 
at Ryan BHQ. His bloom boards are con- like he's been putting out a ton of bloom boards, putting and you just need to go follow him really. Tons of information regarding pitchers, regarding hitters, and it's not your usual, you know, kind of fluffy stuff you'll see on Twitter, which I've been guilty of and everybody else has been guilty of, of maybe not giving you all the data behind your opinion or whatever. Ryan's bloom boards really give you all the data you need on a particular subject, whether it's barrel rates, strikeout to walk rates, second half risers and fallers in terms of velocity, ERA strikeouts. Like they're, they're really, really great. So go and follow Ryan on Twitter as a side note uh, at Ryan BHQ. He's a good friend of ours and he does fantastic work, but getting back to Jose Abreu down year in terms of power, the power advanced numbers were still very good. You know, his strikeout and walk numbers still very good. His strikeout number actually fell down 5% while maintaining his walk rate. Very good stuff. Uh, 85 runs, 75 RBIs this past season and a 304 batting average. I've given the White Sox a pass for last year. I've talked about this a few times. They were not themselves under Tony La Russa. We saw many players there who should have performed a lot better, pitchers and hitters, who just had a shitful year. And I think we have to throw it away, not look at it with too, too much uh, long-term output, because not output, with too much of a long-term impact based on what we saw last year. New coach, new environment there. And I, I think that, first of all, Jose Abreu is not even in the White Sox anymore. But I think the White Sox are going to be a different team without Tony La Russa. And I think that, you know, playing under him probably didn't bode so well for Jose Abreu because it was the worst season we'd seen in his career. Now, part of that is for sure that he is getting older and in a couple of weeks, he's going to be turning 36 years old. But I still think that when you put him in that lineup, in that Houston lineup, which is, you know, I talked about how Atlanta is probably the best lineup in baseball. Houston definitely has an argument for that. Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez. And then you got Jose Abreu, followed by Kyle Tucker, Jeremy Pena, Chas McCormick, and then Martin Maldonado. <laughs> Kyle Tucker in the six hole. I mean, Kyle Tucker is one of the best players in all of baseball offensively. It's just ridiculous, this lineup. And I, I, they like to do their righty-lefty swaps, so there's part of it that's that. But this is going to be a serious opportunity for Jose Abreu to get that RBI number back up. That's what he's been known for. Like, in his career, we're talking about every single year other than 2018, the short 2020 season, which I believe was his MVP year, and this past season in 2022, he's had 100 RBIs every other season. The guy drives in a shit ton of players. Like, if he doesn't get 100 RBIs this season, then I will gift one of our viewers, one of our listeners here, a free sports ethos fantasy pass. I, that's, that's how confident I am. I will give out a fantasy pass if, if he doesn't get to 100 RBIs. And I'm going to write that down and remember that for later on in the year. But seriously, like, this lineup, the guy we know Jose Abreu still is, no problem expecting 100 RBIs. 20 to 25 home runs, probably not going to give you any stolen bases, which is fine. He's likely to bat close to 300. So, you know, you're getting four categories from him. I think that with the Matt Olson thing, you're getting probably more home runs and the counting stats are going to be fairly close. It's honestly, you, it wouldn't be crazy to rank Jose Abreu ahead of Matt Olson. I, I think I'm not going to do it, but it's pretty damn tempting, honestly. Just looking at the both of them, looking at projections. I mean, Abreu is not projected quite as highly, but man, like I think it's going to be pretty close. You're talking about two great players and great lineups. It's not too far off, really. Jose Abreu, that's how confident I feel in him. Uh, I have him ranked ahead of some guys who, you know, maybe 
maybe some other people wouldn't. Vinny Pasquantino, I have him ranked ahead of him. Uh, a couple other guys as well that we'll talk about today. But I'm, I'm very, very confident that we're going to see a Jose Abreu bounce back season and that he'll give you, you know, that standard Jose Abreu kind of year. Maybe it won't have the 35, 30, 35 home runs attached to it, but between 20 and 25 with 100 and close to 100 there, like call it 185 runs plus RBIs and, you know, potential for a 300 batting average. I am going to be all in. Like they're projecting 259 here on the bat. I don't see why it would be that low considering he's going to a nice little home run ballpark there where there will be some extra extra balls leaving the yard for him, uh, which is not you know just a straight indicator for average, but it should certainly help. We're talking a 292 hitter for the career who just batted 304. No reason for me to expect anything below 275, 280 for him. Uh, big, big fan of Jose Abreu this coming season. I think that he is going to be a big value, honestly, considering where he's being drafted at pick 93. Uh, I'd be getting all the shares you possibly can at this point. Now let's keep going. Let's talk about the next guy in these rankings. I did spend a little bit longer than I anticipated on the earlier guys. We'll see how many we get through. Either way, we're going to get through all of our first basemen between today and Monday. However, it does get broken up. But next up, at number seven, we got Reese Hoskins. And this is one that swapped right before the show, within an hour before I started recording. I swapped Reese Hoskins and Vinny Pasquantino. And part of that, I try not to be just beholden to projections. But the projections for Pasquantino are not that great, really, especially, I mean, you look at them compared to Hoskins. Vinny, and this is, I'm just looking at the bat right now. Vinny's, and honestly, I think we kind of needed this as a community because the Pasquantino love had gone to insane levels. It, It really did. Like, I know there are a lot of people in the community who love him. I know Eric Cross, who is a friend who I respect his opinion tremendously, he loves Vinny P. Like, I, he would take Vinny P as high as possible this this coming season. And, you know, looking at the player profile, it's hard to disagree with him. But some of these projections definitely threw some cold water on the Vinny P. Love. 17 home runs, 62 runs, 68 ribbies, and a 271 batting average is what the bat has not projected for. It's fine. It's It's good, but it's, you know, fairly replaceable if you're talking about first base it's not like you know you can get that off the waiver wire if if he does end up doing that 16 homers 62 runs 66 rbis 270 batting average you know it's it's borderline it's really borderline for me if you're talking like a 12 team league and I, i think it'll be better than that but it definitely makes you think like okay I'm not a huge math guy. When I see the math guys tell me something like this, that they're expecting you know, maybe a little bit lower numbers than what the general community is expecting, you've got to pay attention. Steamer hasn't projected for 24 home runs, 73 runs scored, 81 RBIs, and a 278 batting average. So they are a lot more uh, inclined to believe that there will be a breakout here in year two for Vinny. And it's kind of a semi-year two because he played 72 games last season. Not sure what to expect from him based on these projections, but I do think that we have to kind of keep our expectations in check a little bit. We're not going to see like just stupid, you know, a walk rate higher than the strikeout rate over the whole season, which is what he's done in the minors. But I, I don't think we can expect that in the majors here over the course of a full season. I don't know exactly what to think of the power yet. Is it going to be 25, 30, 35 home run power? Is it 15 to 20 home run power? You know, this is his first full year coming up in the big leagues. I wouldn't be surprised if it's closer to that 50 and 20 number than it is 2025. So, I mean, I still really like Vinny, but we're going to have to keep our expectations in check a little bit. 
Now, I completely glossed over the guy that I was going to talk about, Reese Hoskins. He's the guy that I have just ahead of Vinny. And part of it is the projections. The projections for Reese Hoskins are really, really good. Just looking at the bat, 30 homers, 83 runs, 85 RBIs, a 236 average. Now, in terms of comparing him to Vinny P, you'd be leaving about 35 points of batting average on the table. Assuming that these projections do come out and... Let's just say, and we're playing fantasy anyway, let's talk about a fantasy world where these projections are what actually happened in the 2023 season. Let's just say that. You, if you take Vinny ahead of Reese Hoskins, and currently he's going 20, 35 picks ahead of him, uh, then you'd be leaving 13 home runs on the table, 21 runs. You'd be leaving 17 RBIs, a couple of steals. Like, I, you know, you can't just look at the projections, but... You also look at track record. You also look at your own gut. Reese Hoskins has multiple 30 home run seasons. He's given you 85-plus RBIs a couple of times, 80 runs multiple times. The batting average very consistently in that 240-some-odd range. You know exactly what you're getting out of Reese Hoskins in a very good lineup, might I add. With Vinny, it's a good lineup, and I've talked about it a lot, like to the point of I don't even want to talk about it anymore, about how much I like Kansas City going forward. Like Dynasty point of view, absolutely. Bobby Witt, Vinny P, Melendez, upward trajectory. They're going to be a, a fantastic team in a couple of years, assuming they, you know, they play their cards right. But as of right now, I don't know that I could put Vinny ahead of Reese Hoskins, and I, you know, I had him there originally. But just going over these projections one more time, just looking at, you know, previous year's seasons, Reese Hoskins is really good, and he's kind of a little bit underrated considering where he is going in these drafts. I mean, the ninth first baseman off the board at pick 126, it feels a little bit too low for me. Uh, I would personally be putting him closer to, you know, inside the top. I think he's a top 100 pick. I think that he should be going inside of the top 100. And I think that he should be going ahead of Vinny Pasquantino. With Vinny, a lot of it is hype. And yes, there should be hype when you get a guy that comes up and walks more than he strikeouts over the course of half a season. And he improves his numbers over that time as well. Like Vinny started off kind of rough when he came up from what I remember. Let me just pull up the splits for him. But I think it certainly got better as the year went on. Let's just see what he did uh, over the course of month by month. Because I am honestly forgetting here. Yeah, so when he first came up, he was 230 in his first month. His, and that was July. He In August, over 20 games, got a lot better. 329 batting average in September and October. It was a 361 batting average. You split the first and second half. Granted, 20 games versus 52. But those first 20 games, he batted 208. Last 52 games, he batted 328. Three home runs versus seven. I really like Vinny P. Don't get me wrong. I show my biases with the Toronto guys, with the Italian guys. And maybe it's wrong of me. I don't know. But that's just the way life is. You see an Italian guy. You see somebody come up with your shared background, especially, you know, Italians in baseball. You don't see that many of them. I'm rooting for the kid. I think that he is going to be a stud. I'm just not sure that he is going to be worth such a high draft pick this coming season. So while I still have him ranked very highly for first baseman, I think, he, yeah, he is number eight. But I just can't put him ahead of Reese Hoskins and Jose Abreu. And if you'd ask the general community, the consensus at this point, I mean, him and Abreu are both going at 93. It's 93 on the dot for Pasquantino, 93.69 for Jose Abreu. It's pretty much the same thing. But, uh, you know, Vinny is going a little bit sooner. Let me see if I can filter by January, just from January, and see what that will tell us, if there's even enough drafts. Four drafts, 
Uh, well, you know what? Jose Abreu is actually going higher than him in the January drafts. So we're only talking four of them. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. But Jose Abreu is going to 82, Vinny P at 94, and Reese Hoskins at 128. Like, he is he's a huge value man, Reese Hoskins. He's going to be somebody that I have on a lot of teams uh, once we really start getting into draft season. I'm still figuring out how many teams I'm going to do this next season. I don't want to overextend myself. I'm thinking at the most I'm going to do 10 teams. This past year it was eight. Going to add a couple of teams. I'm going to do TGFBI. I'm doing the Arizona Fall League draft champions. I got my home leagues. Going to start up a dynasty league. I'm trying to figure out how what's the right number. I, I think it's going to be 10, roughly 10 leagues. I think I might have Reese Hoskins on like five of those rosters and the other five have Jose Abreu just because you know I, I really like those top-tier first basemen. They are fantastic. But at the price, you know, I don't think you can go wrong with a Reese Hoskins at 126 or even Jose Abreu at 93. Uh, I think that they're both really, really strong options. We're going to go the top 10 today, I think, because I spent a little bit longer than anticipated. And then, you know, I'll, I'll need more time to go through these earlier names. And as we head down the list, probably not quite as many. But we're going to do a couple more names for today. Next up, we got Nathaniel Lau. And I think he's the Lau and Brandon is the low. Brandon Lau, Nathaniel Low. Brandon Lowe, Nathaniel Lau. That's one that I don't think I'll ever properly figure out in my head, even though it's really not that complicated. I just tend to to butcher names for whatever reason. Nathaniel Lowe, Nathaniel Lau. I think it's Nathaniel Lau. But anyway, he's coming off of an incredible season, Nathaniel Lau, Nathaniel Lowe. Let's just call him Nate for the sake of my sanity, my sanity here over these next 20 minutes, half an hour, however long we go. Uh, he is coming off a fantastic season. And I don't think really anybody was expecting him to do what he did. 27 homers, 74 runs, 76 RBIs. That was probably within reason, considering what he did the year before. 18, 75, and 72. You know, he boosted his power. That's It, it happens, right? The walk rate went down a little bit. Strikeout rate went down. ISO went up. It's It happens. It does happen. The thing that doesn't really happen that we weren't expecting to happen was that he was going to hit 300. He was 302 this past season, 358 on base percentage. That is like, man, it's pretty rare that somebody leaves Tampa, leaves the Rays, and then breaks out afterwards. They don't really tend to miss like that, but it appears they did here with Nathaniel Lau, with with Nate. We're going to call him Nate because I'm just going to drive myself freaking crazy here uh, trying to figure that one out in my head. He is... Still, I think, despite the fact that he had a great season, maybe a touch overrated heading into this year. They're expecting pretty much the exact same stat line if you look at the projections. And, you know, I think that he's probably going to give you something within spitting distance of it. But I also think that we're maybe expecting a little bit too much having him where he is currently going by ADP. Overall, first base rank, no problem with having him where he is at nine. I have him at... Or, I have him at nine by ADP is at eight. I can maybe argue that he should be 10. Like that's as pro- probably about as low as I would want to put him considering the fact that yes, even though I'm a little skeptical of him repeating everything, I think that he can still give you between 20 and 25 dingers. The runs and RBIs will be the same. You're going to talk about 150 between the two of them. And then the batting average, it doesn't need to be 300 for him to have that same kind of value. He gives you 270, 280, then you're going to be well within reason. He's always run high BABIPs, so that's something to take in mind, keep in mind. You know, he had a 363 BABIP this year. Some people might be afraid of that, but in his career, we're looking at 340, 314, 339, and now 363. So it's something that he's always been, you know, 
He's always always run high BABIP, so I wouldn't look at that and say he's due for a you know massive crashing back down to earth. Even the projection systems haven't projected for 319, 326, and 321 BABIP. So I think that you're going to still see a fairly high batting average, 270, 280 kind of range. Home runs will might tail off a little bit because 27, I mean, maybe he's not a 27 to 30 guy. Maybe he's more like a 20 to 23 guy. Projections kind of suggest that. Other than Steamer, Steamer's pretty big on him, projecting, you know, 26 homers, 79 runs, uh, 85 RBIs on a 271 batting average. They're a little bit higher than I would be. I think the bat is pretty close to what I would expect, especially the bat X, honestly. 20 homers, 74 runs, 71 RBIs, four stolen bases, and giving you about a 265 batting average. That should be what you expect out of Nate Lau, out of Nate. Jesus, I'm gonna have really, really bad with that. I, I honestly have no idea now that I've haven't heard their name spoken over like by announcers in a while. I I would lose a bet big time on who's low and who's low. But regardless, this lineup is looking really good heading into next year. Semyon, Seeger, Lau. Garcia, Jonah Heim, Josh Young, Brad Miller, Leody Tavares, Josh Smith. The bottom third, not so great for sure. But that top six should be really strong. There should be a lot of run and RBI opportunities for him in terms of how much he's going to actually be stealing. We saw him steal eight bases in 2021, only two this past season. I think the projection systems having met four is pretty reasonable. That would be what I expect as well. Overall, I think that he should be going where he is roughly going in drafts. Maybe he's a touch overpriced, but in terms of the overall first base rankings, no problem here uh, seeing him as the eighth first baseman. I have him nine, but if you want to have him eight, uh, no real problem there. Now let's talk about one more guy for today. We'll pick this up on Monday and talk about the rest of them. We'll go through 11 through 30 in the list. And of course, I won't be spending quite as much time on them uh, and those guys, because as you head down the board, I don't think you you generally need to spend as much time. We'll, we'll see what we do. If we need to do three shows, then we do three shows. But for today, we're going to leave it off with one more guy, and that's going to be Christian Walker. Christian Walker, I fell in love with Christian Walker this past season. The dude was just fantastic for me. I won two of my leagues this year, and he was on both of those teams. Actually, the funny thing is he was on both of those teams. Dalton Varsho was on both of those teams. And Corbin Carroll was on both of those teams. He was somebody I picked up, stashed in my NA slot. And I had three Diamondbacks, the same three Diamondbacks, on both of my winning rosters. And one of them, too, I forget which one of them had Zach Gallen. So Diamondbacks did pay off this past season. Now, we talked about throughout the season how in 2019, despite the fact that you know the balls were juiced, we've talked about that, it's not really an accurate picture of what guys can do, what they did that year. Christian Walker had an incredible season in terms of everything that year. Walk rate, uh, home runs, stolen bases. Everything was at its peak level that season. And we were talking about during the course of the year, I might have put it down in an article at some point, how you know he was looking pretty similar to what he did that year, except the strikeout rate was lower. You know, he was walk- he was striking out 25, 26% of the time in 2019. Got it down below 20% this year. Got the walk rate up above 10%, which it hadn't been going back to 2019 when it was 11. Followed that up with 7.8 and 8.5, which is still very good walk rates. But getting it back up over 10 is really, really a big factor here. If you're in an OBP league, it's it's that much sweeter because batting average is not really a huge thing for him. 242 this past season, 244 the year prior. He's a 247 career hitter. You're not going to see him 
you know, probably changed that so much at this point. He's going to be 32 years old next time he sees a major league pitch. I don't think you're going to see the batting average change so much, but that power, like Christian Walker is legitimately a 30 home run guy, and the projections will tell you pretty much the same thing. Uh, the bat X, 26. The bat, 29. Steamer, 28. Everybody is in agreement there that he is going to hit you upper 20s home runs, and projections by nature – as far as I understand them, because like I've talked about math, you know, I went into journalism for a reason. I, I like to write math numbers, not really my forte, but projections by their nature are telling you what the 50th percentile outcome is going to be. It's why you don't see Judge projected for 58 home runs anywhere, and you don't see Vladimir Guerrero projected for 50 and Pete Alonso, and you know, you don't see Mondesi projected for 75 steals kind of thing. It's because they're projecting the 50th percentile. 50th percentile for him being 28 home runs, that's gravy for me, man. Like 30 home runs should be well within reach. I think 170, 175 runs plus RBIs really makes sense for him. That's pretty much what he gave you this past season. It was 178. I think you're talking anywhere in like the 170 to 200 combined range is probably what's going to happen. Like, okay, maybe 200 is, is pushing it a little bit. But he could give you 100 RBIs, and he can give you close to 100 runs. I think that that's totally possible in that lineup. I love the Arizona Diamondbacks. Like I, There's no reason for me to love them as much as I do here, maybe other than the fact that just they helped my fantasy teams last season quite a bit. But Corbin Carroll, Marte, McCarthy, Christian Walker, Rojas, my old guy, Lourdes Goriel Jr., Evan Longoria projected in the starting lineup, which I really doubt that's going to happen, but we'll see. Carson Kelly and Nick Ahmed. And then you got Gabriel Moreno and Kyle Lewis on the bench, Perdomo, Emmanuel Rivera. They're, they're, they're really, honestly, a deep group in that lineup. I don't see any reason why Christian Walker can't hit 40. I, and honestly, that has nothing to do with the lineup. But I think he can give you 40 home runs as an upside projection with 100 runs scored and 100 RBIs and bat 250 and be a top seven first baseman. Like, I think having him 10th, that's where I expect him to finish end of the season. That's what I'm doing with these projections in case you guys missed the catcher shows or you missed, you know, you you heard it, but you'd maybe just missed me say that. This is what my projections are for end of season. When we look back at the end of 2023, who is going to place in which spot by position? That is the goal with these rankings. That is what I'm trying to do. Not to say, these are the guys who are going to start out the hottest. These are the guys who are whatever. Uh, no misconceptions there. These are the guys that I think are going to be 1 through 10 when we close the book on the 2023 season. And just to recap once more, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. at 1, Freddie Freeman at 2, Pete Alonso at 3, Paul Goldschmidt at 4, Matt Olson 5, Jose Abreu 6, Reese Hoskins at 7, Vinny Pasquantino at 8, Nathaniel Lau Low at 9, and Christian Walker at 10. Now, I didn't mess around so much, and I didn't really look at ADP when I was putting these rankings together. I mean, I've been looking at them because of the shows that we've been doing and talking about positional reviews and you know draft analysis and yada, yada. But in terms of looking at these rankings, I really tried to stay away from them when I was putting them together. I didn't want to be influenced at all by what the ADP was telling us, and lo and behold, we ended up with the same top five, me and the community consensus. After five... You know, it changes a little bit. Vinny P, they have at number six. I think that's a little bit too high. For me personally, I, I don't think he should be at number six. I think that the back half of the top ten, there's a lot more room for discussion than the top half. The top half, it's pretty set in stone. Those top five first basemen, you might see somebody have Alonzo ahead of Freeman or Freeman ahead of Guerrero or maybe even Alonzo ahead of Guerrero. 
But I think for the most part, this is what you're going to see. Once we start getting into the back half of my rankings, which we're going to go 30 deep, you'll see a lot of different names from 11 through 30 that you might not necessarily see uh, in the ADP numbers. And you're still going to see most of them, right? That's the thing. And I said it earlier in the show. I'm not here to say, you know, I have Joey Votto as my fifth thir- uh, fifth first baseman and, you know, come click and check out why. I don't know clickbait shit like that. I'm giving you my honest-to-God opinion about what I think is going to happen this upcoming season. So that's why you see a lot of similar numbers to what the ADP is telling you because I think that the community is pretty damn sharp. They know what they're talking about. I'd like to think that I know what I'm talking about too, and we've come to generally the same conclusion here with these top guys. Now, there's going to be some changes. You know, I have Hoskins a couple spots above. Abreu's a spot above. Uh, Lau has dropped a spot down. Vinny P has dropped a couple spots down. But for the most part, uh, I think we are, I think I'm mostly in agreement here with the people who've been doing uh, these early drafts, at least the draft champions. But guys, thank you so much for hanging out, wrapping up your week with us, of course. We are going to be back on Monday. Like I've said a million times now, we're going to complete these rankings. We're going to be doing a ton of other things as well. We've been in communication with certain people about doing team preview shows. Those are going to be starting to come out hopefully next week. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get something on the books for next week and that we're going to start doing a couple of those every single week until the season starts. I'm going to try and have a guest on for every single one, but there will be times, I think, of course, where I'll have to just be little old me here sitting behind the microphone, breaking down roster resource pages for you guys in terms of those team previews. But thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out. I know that the download numbers have started to go back up as we've entered closer to the regular season. I think we're actually, I think an all-time high amount of people are listening to the show right now, so I really appreciate all that support. Go follow us on Twitter, at EthosFantasyBB. That is where all of our new content will be this year. Podcasts, articles, notes, everything else pertinent to fantasy baseball and regular baseball as well, Ethos Fantasy BB, and of course, SportsEthos.com. If you guys can leave a rating and or review on your way out the door, let us know what you think. Really appreciate that. Until Monday, guys, enjoy your weekend. I hope everybody has a great time. If you're drafting early, get your value plays. Try not to draft any busts, of course. But then, what would we be doing here if we didn't draft busts? That's what fantasy baseball is all about. Anyway, guys, take care. Enjoy your weekend. And cheers. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.